Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Zooey mama, that's right. When you hear that sound, you know it's time for Twilight. A literary deep dive into the blood-sucking, skin-sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader. Join us as we try to answer the question, Does does it it suck? Your electric glow is all I feel so kiss the Well, hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Spencer. And it's very nice to see you back again. Just kidding, I can't see you. Can't but. see anything. But we're glad to have you back. Yeah, this is our first recording after we've started releasing the podcast. Right. In case y'all didn't know, we do record these in advance. Yeah. So the pressure's on now. It really is. We know that there are literal tens of people listening. (laughs) And by tens, I mean two tens of people, not 23. At least. More, more, More than 25, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. No matter what it is, it's it's. You know, we, soon we, to be millions. We appreciate every single one of you. So this may be the last time you hear us before we're so fucking rich. Yeah. We're going to be... We're going to be rolling it. We're going to be really like obnoxious yeah. about it too. Like oh, about yeah. our wealth. We're going to own so many Manscaped razors. Oh my God. And, Can't wait. And uh, Casper mattresses. <laughs> and... Uh, please sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, anyone. Please. We're All shells. Right. Well, we let... will sell our souls for money. <laughs> and not even a lot. <laughs> Well, let's get started doing a quick refresh on what happened in today's chapters. That's right. We're covering chapters 8 through 10. Let's begin. Chapter 8, Port Angeles. I think it's called Port Angeles. Chapter 8, Port Angeles. Bella, Jess, and Angela are on their way to Port Angeles for a shopping trip, vibing off shitty 2000s rock radio and a collective estrogen rush. That's Stephanie Meyer's words, not mine. I hate that. I do too, but also kind of love it. Jess pauses her ramblings about the simp long enough to ask Angela what kind of boy she likes. Sensing her discomfort, Bella changes the subject to dresses. I only included this because I'm calling it right now Angela's totes gay. Interesting. Did you call her Angela the earlier? Angela. Oh, Angela, like Angela Merkel? Angela Merkin. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Great banter to start out. As they talk about the upcoming dance, it's revealed that our resident dude bro, Tyler Crowley, has been telling everyone in the school that he is going to prom with Bella. Well, everyone except for Bella. Because he can't say it to her fucking face, right? Dude, what a piece of shit. I hate this guy so much. Man, give me back Eric. I'm just saying. I I apologize, Eric, for making fun of you. We miss you. Yeah, So much better than the simp and the the douche. Yeah, the virgin it usually is. Once in town, the group finishes up their shopping early, so Jess and Angela head to the bay while Bella goes off to find a bookstore. Bella wanders around town but can't find a bookstore that isn't also filled with crystals and tarot cards, which, I mean, first of all, that's my kind of place. Mm -hmm. And second of all, 
Like, aren't you doing, like, research for vampires? Why wouldn't you want to go to that kind of bookstore? Yeah, I didn't think of that until you pointed out. But yeah, holy shit, that is the <laughs> that is where you would go. Yeah. That's actually where you would want to be. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually true. Like, <laughs> you're going to go to the Barnes & Noble and see their books on vampires? <laughs> you're not going to no, find anything good there. You want the real answers. Exactly. You it's like go Men to in the... Black, where, where the real stories are in the Inquirer about <laughs> aliens and shit. <laughs> it's like, no, the truth is in those, those self-published volumes in the crystal shop. Yes. Love it. Good point. Thank you. So she does, however, even though she couldn't find the right bookstore that she was looking for her, she does find a silver Volvo parked along the street, but it only serves as a frustrating reminder of how unreliable Edward is. As her search continues, she finds herself in the back alleys of Port A and is being followed by a couple strange dudes. She tries to get back to the tourist side of town, but ends up surrounded by two of their friends from the same group. As the men close in on her, Bella tries to recall her self-defense moves she's been taught. But before she can use them, a car comes swerving around the corner. And I like that Myers put in that Bella knew, or at least was considering about smashing the dude's nose and like thinking of her self-defense. Yeah, I mean... She's not totally helpless. No, exactly. I mean, she is kind of, you know, unfortunately off balance all the time. So she's like, I can't fucking run. She's off balance to the point I think she may have vertigo, like seriously. Or like, something. She can't take like 10 steps without I know. tripping. Like I think she's got like a problem, like one leg's longer than the other or something. And I'm like quite clumsy and I break yeah. a lot of things, but Jesus Christ, Bella, yeah. get she, it together. Like she literally can't walk 10 steps. <laughs> well, it's the notorious SNV. The car stopped by Bella and a demanding but sexy voice commands her to get in. She obliges and the car speeds away. In the car, Bella tries to calm Edward down as he talks about what he wants to do to the would-be rapists and Tyler Crowley, the dude bro, who could use a few punches to the face. Edward. Edward, go after him. Yeah, you can can take down that guy. (laughs) Just like... Lick off, flick his face and it's like gonna crush his bones yeah <laughs> anyways once he's collected himself he takes bella to the restaurant she was supposed to meet her friends at and invites himself to dinner by possibly hypnotizing them we, we learn a little more about this we'll talk about but also yeah. kind of a weird move Edward. i mean yeah but i also like i he's like this mysterious you know handsome boy that goes to your high school and like all of a sudden, he shows up with your friend to the restaurant. Like, what the f- yeah. fuck? You'd be like, okay. Yeah, I guess you'd be like, yeah. I mean, if anyone showed up, you'd be like, I guess you can come to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, whatever, man. But as it turns out, Justin and Angela have already eaten. I, uh, so, fuck you guys. <laughs> so, Eddie Boy and Bella decide to have dinner alone. Despite the server doing everything in her power to fuck Edward right in that booth they sit in, the two have their most revealing and intimate conversation yet. We'll learn about Edward's ability to read minds and how he's able to use that ability to find people, even people in different towns miles away. Hey, did you know this was a thing? The mind reading? Yeah. Well, I talked about it and it wasn't clear like how much he was literally reading minds and hearing their actual thoughts, or if he had like this kind of intuition where he kind of just understood and kind of could guess what people were thinking. Uh-huh. But now it's clear he's literally reading their minds. He literally can hear their own thoughts and right. voices. So, But Bella's. Exactly. However, he's found a psychic kryptonite in Bella, whose mind he can't seem to actually penetrate. That's not the only thing he's trying to penetrate. You know, I almost put that same joke there, but mm-hmm. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Thank you. The two finish dinner. 
and return to the notorious SNV. Chapter 9. Theory. Theses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, evolution's technically a theory. (laughs) Okay. If we came from monkeys, where are the monkeys? Get out of my face with that bullshit. As they drive home, Bella continues to ask questions. She asks how Edward found her if he couldn't read her mind, and he reveals that he followed her scent and goes on to note that he is the only member of his family with these psychic abilities. Bella asks why he can't read her mind, and he guesses that her brain just works differently, comparing it to different channels on a radio, which she goes, so I'm a freak? Shut up, Bella. I know. Shut the fuck up. That's not what he said. It's at this point that Bella notices they are going over a hundred miles per hour. Jesus Christ. What the fuck, Edward? It's like rainy, windy roads yeah. and shit. I get you're a vampire and you have super reflexes or whatever, but chill the fuck out, dude. Seriously. You call her a danger magnet. You're constantly complaining and you're going to you're gonna do this? <laughs> Edward assures her they'll be fine and slows down to a marginally more reasonable 80 miles per hour. Again, these are like back roads, aren't they? Yeah. This is like driving back end of Corpus Christi right. at 80, whatever. <laughs> he switches the conversation to Bella, which I would not continue the conversation until he was going the speed limit, but whatever. Right, yeah. He's handsome. Who cares? <laughs> switches the conversation to Bella, asking her how she came up with all these theories about him. She recalls the stories Jacob told her and about the cold ones and her own internet research, but explains she stopped looking into it because, well, it didn't matter to her. Edward is shocked by her casual acceptance. Me too. She's really taking vampires existing in stride. Yeah. But doesn't tell her she's wrong and pretty much confirms that he is much older than 17. How old do you think Edward actually is? What's your prediction? I haven't like thought about it, but I vaguely think he's like 100 something. I know I keep doing the True Blood comparison, but I like, think he's okay, like... Okay, what era do you think he grew up in? Um, I'm thinking like Victorian England, like... In England, or maybe, I don't know, but like Victorian 1800s, 1880s, early 20th century. Okay. I don't think he's ancient. Okay. Because I think that's going to be, again, not to compare it to True Blood, but I think it's going to be like, what's his face? Suki. Not Suki, but the guy who says Suki like that. Yeah. Where he's old, he's like 100 years old, but he's but from like he's World not... War II, or Civil War era, sorry, right. but he's young vampire-wise. Right. And I think Edward's going to be like a young vampire. I think the... Which makes him like a teenager-y kind of vampire. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I... I feel like I already... I, that's what I've heard already, and that's kind of what I'm feeling. All right. Well, we'll find out, huh? Maybe. Edward goes on to dispel some of the common misconceptions about vamps. They don't get burned in the sun, and they can come out during the day, but not where they can be seen. They don't sleep in coffins. In fact, Eddie is unable to sleep at all. Then he brings up their diets, explaining that they do drink blood, but they don't hunt humans. Instead, they choose to only hunt animals. While it's not an exact substitute, he compares it to eating tofu. They believe that being vampires doesn't mean they have to be monsters, which, wow. Oh, how sweet. (laughs) They arrive at Bella's home, but before she gets out, he makes her promise to never go in the woods alone. Cryptically, he tells her, I'm not always the most dangerous thing out there. What the fuck Which, is like, that supposed to mean, Yeah, dude? could you like give some details if you're like worried about her? Yeah. Like, hey, look out for this thing that right. might get you. Uh, some help, dude? Yeah. A little more specific. <laughs> are, are all of the nightmares real? Yeah, like, 
look, I'm Edward going to get me. Yeah. Edward, I'm being pretty chill about vampires existing. Could you just tell me if Slender Man's also out there? Like, <laughs> is there a Skinjili Man, too? Like, what, what's going to be real? <laughs> what's real? What's not? Like, he could have told her about werewolves being real, too. Or right. something. Whatever. But he's handsome and looks good in a sweater, I guess. I don't think I wrote it down in the summary anywhere, but Bella has a great line when he picks her up later and he's wearing like just a thin sweater. And yeah, nothing's like, more handsome than Edward. Well, no, it's like it's such a compliment to his face that I can look away from his rock hard body or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, the thirst. Uh, Bella heads inside, calls Jess to let her know she's safe and heads off to bed. Before falling asleep, she reflects on three facts she knows to be true. Edward is a vampire. Part of him wants her blood. And she is unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. That's the line everyone has memorized. Yeah, I, that's why I wrote it pretty <laughs> much verbatim because I'm like, that seems like a, a tattooed line. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's move on to chapter 10, interrogations. Interrogations? The, interrogations. 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 The next morning, Bella is surprised to find Edward outside waiting to drive her to school, which I, it's very comedic the way that they, she writes yeah, it she out. Like, walks she's out. like still, she's like halfway down the driveway before she notices. Jesus, dude, what the fuck? Bella asks how the rest of the Cullens are getting to school and Edward tells her they're taking Rosalie's red convertible. Meyer's trying to get that upgrade from the I Volvo. Know. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to throw out a convertible, see if I can get that sponsorship now. <laughs> Later in Trig, Jessica bombards Bella with questions about her dinner with Edward. Bella gives vague but technically truthful answers, knowing Edward is listening in via Jessica's thoughts. So creepy, Edward. Yeah. I know he told her, but like, dude, it's weird. I mean, if I had that power, I'd probably do the fucking same thing, dude. Well, yeah, I would do it, but still, it's weird. <laughs> of course I would do it. Like, Jesus. I want to point out also in this chapter, Bella and Edward become official Mm. With Edward saying, quote, it's easier than any other explanation. Oh, okay. Do you recall that? Vaguely, but I, I missed it. I guess I didn't understand it was that was them becoming like an like a, item. Yeah, because like, okay. Jessica was going to ask if they were dating. Oh, okay. I see now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but don't ever mess with my script again. Also, he says it's easier than any other explanation. So romantic. Oh, it's man. Just, I mean, that is kind of similar to how we became official. When you're <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to I don't want to be called your friend anymore. <laughs> I, I didn't like, like that. And I was like, <laughs> literally, you said it like that. <laughs> and I was like, fine. I'll call you whatever you want. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up. It's easier that way. <laughs> Let me go to bed. Just kidding. Like I ever try to fall asleep before you. Yeah. At lunch, Bella sits with Edward again. We learn that he can, in fact, eat human food, but it's like eating dirt for him. I can eat dirt to blend in. Right. And then I'm like, if, okay, mini rant. If they, for some reason, feel like they have to get food at lunch every day, can't they take a couple of bites? I know it tastes like dirt, but like or you're like trying to not be found out. And like in my in my high school, I remember kids all the time would just get like a cookie for lunch. I mean, it's not yeah. good for you, but like they would just like just eat like a cookie. No one would bat an eye. Exactly. But it's weird when you get a full tray of food right. and you just stare or at like it like every you're, day. You're a fucking vampire. Do some sleight of hand, like pinch some food off, put it in your purse. Yeah, <laughs> or just you know maybe don't get a full tray of food at lunch every day just to <laughs> not eat it. I don't get why they keep doing this. I feel like they want to be caught. I don't understand. Why did he have to get a whole other tray of food for himself? Yeah, that that is ridiculous. Like with him and Bella. I was annoyed. It's a waste of food. Exactly. 
whatever just ask bella what she wants and get the thing yeah don't get the whole fucking thing thank you whatever whatever we then delve into some serious high school drama as the two proceed to get into no i love you more fight because Bella told Jessica that she cares about Edward more than he cares about her. Edward then throws down some you-don't-know-you're-beautiful vibes telling her, you were the opposite of ordinary. Which, fun fact that I learned, this passage is actually the cause of seven hospitalizations when it came out due from eye-roll-induced seizures. <laughs> because this is fucking obnoxious. It is quite teenager-esque. Like, no, I love you. You really think you care about me more than I care about you. And I love that the explanation is like, Edward was listening on her, which told her that blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm just like, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Do more vampire shit. But in their defense, Meyer pulls out a great, if still a bit melodramatic line with, it seems like you're saying goodbye when you're saying something else. Which is which is nice. I like that line. Yeah, it is a little dramatic, but it's it is. It's a good line. Yeah, I would. And that, it sums that up would, Edward very well. That's definitely not something I would like say out loud, like in a casual conversation. No, but in a book, it works. Right. Edward brings up their trip to Seattle and asks if she would be willing to go somewhere different. Bella agrees under the condition that she drives, as is un- as she is understandably scared of his driving. Edward responds with the all-time bad line of. Of all the things about me that frighten you, you worry about my driving. It is literally the most dangerous thing about you, Edward. Yeah, I mean, like, as much as you may be able to protect her, like, once you're in a car, like, once you put her in a car, you're only going to make her as safe as the car can make her. Yeah, like, I know you're a vampire and you're, like, scared of, like, sucking her butt or whatever, but a hundred miles per hour in a fucking backwoods road, you were going to kill her doing that. It is literally the most dangerous thing about you by far. Whatever. Whatever. Eat some food. So that's soon followed by him urging Bella to tell Daddy Swan that he's going with her as an incentive to bring her back. Just great conversation all around for Edward. Right. Also, he tells her that his favorite food is a mountain lion. Mountain lion. I prefer mountain goat. <laughs> it's a joke because that's no, his band. My favorite band. His favorite goats. band's name. He finally rounds out the stellar conversation by informing Bella she's late for class. Just, what a douche. He's just, he's not, not his best moments in the really book. Really not. He's really this just batting little... zero of this conversation. <laughs> Everything he says is just like douchey or problematic. Right. Well, Spencer, there's a lot of information we learn in these few chapters about vampires and vampire life. So I'd like to ask you, Spence. What have you learned this week about vampires? Quite a bit. We actually got a lot of clarification on the vampire abilities and how mm-hmm. they work. The most we've gotten in the whole series by far. So a few things I want to bring up. You probably can't answer all my questions without giving away things. But I'm wondering if time feels slower for Edward and the vampires because they move so fast. And that's why they like driving fast. I, I wonder because if you can move that fast, wouldn't time, everything else seem slow to you? Yeah, at, at I think pace. that's probably true. That seems to be what's going on. Right. I, that's what I picked up. We now pretty much confirm that Dazzling is a vampire power, some kind of ability, and not just that he's very handsome. And there's a name to it now. Well, it could just be like an extension of like attractiveness. Okay. It seems like implied that like it's like supernatural. Like amplification of. Yeah. I mean, it helps to be handsome. But again, sorry, True Blood, they have, they call them True Blood. They Are something- they like. Oh, oh it's... I think I swear they call it dazzling in True Blood. 
glamoring. Glamour, thank you. Glamour. But I, yeah. I think it might be like a take on like the the glamour yeah, trope. Yeah, it seems like a similar vampires. idea. But also Bella says she's been dazzled by him or that she gets dazzled by him all the time, but she never seems like hypnotized or anything. You know, she just seems like she's swooning. So maybe it isn't quite a power. It's just or maybe it just doesn't work on her as much. Interesting. Like the mind control or like the mind reading thing. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I keep it whenever he, they mention him doing a dazzle, I just imagine Ben Stiller doing the blue steel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoolander. That, yeah. That's what I see every time. I just see <laughs> a handsome Robert Pattinson doing blue steel when he dazzles people. I love that image in my head. And then Edward says they can go out during the day. The sun doesn't burn them, but they can't go where they can be seen. I imagine this because they sparkle. We'll find out, huh? Which I didn't realize. I thought they still burned up in the light or that. It was bad for him. Oh. Not just that they could spark. Because I swear I saw like something where he's at the vampire Vatican and he's like disrobes naked. And I thought that was like a suicide thing. Like he was sacrificing himself because he was out in the sun. Interesting. But I guess I don't know. Hmm. It's almost like I haven't read or seen the series. I mean, I think you've seen part of it, but. Probably. Who knows? It's as far as I got on what we learned about vampires besides what we talked about in the chapter summaries. Right. So I do want to. Do you have a few predictions? Okay, well, give them to me. Got some ideas of what's going to happen. All right. The warning Edward gives Bella about going in the woods, I think that's going to, he's referring to the hunter from the prologue, whatever okay. that is, if it's a bad vampire, werewolf, or whatever. Mm. And I believe that his alternative to the Seattle trip is them going to the vampire baseball game. Okay, so that's something that we'll probably see play out pretty soon. Yeah, that's what I think is going to happen next chapter or next two chapters. They're going to go to vampire baseball. Okay. And then we're going to start meeting all the vampire characters. Okay. Which I'm excited about. It's interesting I how different Edward is, too, that he's the only one that has the mind reading power. So I'm mm-hmm. interested to see how much variance there is in the vampire abilities, if they all do different things or what. I imagine... Probably not a ton of that. Doesn't seem like that kind of story where they're gonna get into like the different abilities of the different vampires, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. They they don't necessarily all have the same abilities. Yeah, I like the the world building aspect of the story as well. Mm-hmm. It being like a fantasy thing. Yeah. Should be interesting. Yeah. Well, now that we know what happened, let's dig a little deeper and take a trip down the road to pretension. Vroom, vroom, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretension time. (laughs) That's right, we're going down that old dusty road to dig deep. So like always, we're going to start with a major theme. And for me, major themes of these chapters was perception. Perception. My good sir. (laughs) In these chapters, the idea of perception is most obviously shown through Edward. In these chapters, we gain a lot of insight into his supernatural abilities, especially his power to read minds. And as far as we know, he is the only person or vampire who can actually read minds in this story. So it gives him a very unique perspective in his own world. As a vampire, he's inherently detached from humanity, but this is juxtaposed with his unique ability to enter the minds of humans. He's able to understand someone as deeply as they are able to understand themselves, despite his literal lack of humanity, which I think is very interesting. And so this is likely a part of the reason Bella is so enticing to him. How long has it been since he hasn't encountered someone he instantly knew everything he wanted to know about? Yeah, I think that's an interesting take on, like, their dynamic, you know? And and, and I'm wondering if that's what 
initially drew her to him. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll get to that in a second, but yeah, I, there's a, definitely a, a back and forth with them on that. Mm-hmm. So, like we're saying, on the other end, part of Bella's attraction to Edward is his intense desire to understand her. Numerous times in the book, we are given examples of people in Bella's life not understanding her. Charlie, despite his best efforts, isn't able to relate to her completely. Right. And her mom is too distracted by her own romantic entanglements to really give Bella the time a day she deserved, which led to Bella coming to Forks. Right. And most recently, and most importantly for this uh, analysis here, Tyler is telling everyone that they're going to prom. And this placement of this revelation here makes Edward's rescue later even more important for Bella. So Myers does a great job of establishing how regular or human boys, represented by Le Grand Douche Tyler, are unable to correctly perceive Bella's true personality, which in turn helps the reader perceive why Bella feels the way she does about Edward. Hmm. It's a really great little uh, setup and execution here of the, the, the prince rescue trope. Right. That is, yeah. We got all these boys just saying what they want about Bella, all these guys who are just kind of completely missing the point with Bella. Absolutely. Mike and Tyler especially. And then the hero comes in and he does physically rescue her. But what is most important is he wants to know her. And right. that is a- And he's you know, putting teen, an effort. He's putting an effort. He's romantic. Teen girl fantasy 101 right there. Mm. She doesn't know she's beautiful. <laughs> but that is what makes her beautiful. Oh, Okay. So if she knows she's beautiful, wouldn't she no longer be beautiful? Who's to say? I say yes. At Confidence me, is me, everything. Uh, at me one direction. I couldn't think of a <laughs> member. Uh, Harry Styles. At me Harry Styles with your uh, your interpretation of your lyrics. Excellent. And watch out for a new podcast where we take a deep dive into the lyrics of One Direction. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not actually Never. doing that. All right. Now let's prove that YA can be literature too by seeing how Twilight stacks up against the canon. Which canon is it today? Oh, we got a canon of a canon. <laughs> we got a boom of a canon here. Ooh. Today we will be looking at a personal favorite of mine, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I have not read this book. Um, I have read a, a Hemingway before, mm-hmm. but it was that stupid old man in the sea. Oh, God, I haven't even read that. I fucking hated it. Yeah. So um, I'm interested to see what this book is about and yeah. what your take on it. Oh, boy. We're going to get my take on this book. <laughs> Released in 1926, The Sun Also Rises is Hemingway's first novel and contains possibly my personal favorite metaphor and quote of all of literature. Oh, even more so than the green light and the... the there, it's right up there with okay. it. Okay. I don't love the book as much as Great Gatsby, but... We'll get into the parts I like, but it has maybe my favorite line of literature and metaphor, which would only be beat by the green light and the final line of Great Gatsby. Right. So, but it's it's a close one. Okay. So the story follows Jake Barnes, an American journalist and World War I veteran living in Paris. During the war, he meets Lady Brett Ashley, a British socialite famous for her promiscuity and independent nature. Jake and Brett fall in love with each other, but unfortunately, Jake has suffered an injury in the war that has left him impotent. Despite her feelings for him, Lady Brett is unwilling to give up sex to be in the relationship with him, and so nothing comes to pass. Years later, after the war, Lady Brett comes to Paris, and the two reconnect. Them and their friends go on various adventures and dramatics, mostly involving various forms of drinking, but for our purposes, I'm going to skip to the ending. So, you know, spoilers and such, if you want to read The Sun Also Rises, which you should. It's fantastic. Uh, can I point out, I noticed impotence. Mm-hmm. 
which I think that was also an issue in Yule Man in the Sea or like his hand was fucked up and that was like Uh, a metaphor for like impotence. And I'm wondering, Hemingway, are you having a little trouble there? Oh no, Hemingway fucks. This guy fucks? Okay. We'll explain what the impotence means in this book. I don't know about Yule Man in the Sea, but Hemingway fucks. I could be wrong. I think it's like his hand is injured or something. I mean, it's a very powerful metaphor for men. Okay, you're right. Can't use your wang. What are you even doing? Right. So as the story comes to a close, Jake and Lady Brett sit alone in the backseat of a taxi. After another failed romantic fling, she is resigned to return home to her ex-husband. So the two take a final ride around the city together. Jake puts his arm around her as she snuggles next to him. Lady Brett quietly laments on the loss of the relationship they never had, saying, We could have had a damned good time together. And with the closing words of the novel, Jake replies, Yes. Isn't it pretty to think so? Which is all-time top line for me love it wow that reminds me of a taylor swift's lyric i know i've, I've told you about this oh yeah first time i heard that song she says it's pretty to think and i was like oh i wonder if she's quoting hemingway probably and you're like what <laughs> no that's probably heather who said that <laughs> what <laughs> love you heather <laughs> so i'm gonna take a quick detour outside of the this relating to twilight because i just want to talk about that metaphor of the war causing impotence because it's i think one of the greatest metaphors in literature is one of my personal favorites and i have a lot to say about it i'm ready for it here we go the sun also rises primarily a story of the horrors of war and the deep psychological wounds battles leave behind and the soldiers that survived them world war one was a especially horrific and unique war as the weapons used in it advanced far faster than than people's ability to understand them machine guns airplanes and mustard gas were brand new inventions and were so efficient in their ability to kill and maim, armies didn't know how to fight them, which led them to literally entrenching themselves and resorting to sending countless men into a meat grinder of bullets and barbed wire. Brand new style of warfare was incredibly traumatic in a way previous wars weren't. Think of it like the guerrilla jungle tactics Americans faced in Vietnam and how psychologically damaging it was for them compared to a quote-unquote more standard war. Not that those are not traumatic, but I think these new forms of fighting were very harmful to people. Tilly. We see a soldier going off to war as one of the most stereotypically masculine, if not even heroic, images out there. And this war literally robbed him of his manhood. World War I was a time where people really began questioning the glorification of war. And I think this metaphor perfectly encapsulates that idea. He goes to war, something a man is expected to do. And that war literally took away his manhood. Damn. That's powerful. Right. And for a lot of people, that happened. It took away their humanity in many ways. And World War I especially came, a lot of art and literature especially came out that really questioned the meaning of war and what it does to people in a way that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Now back to Twilight. The final line of the book is one of my favorites of any book. It so perfectly describes that feeling of longing for a love that has never come to pass. As John Green writes in Looking for Alaska, imagining the future is a kind of nostalgia. Although I do believe his wife came up with that line. Mm. And there isn't a more potent nostalgia than a relationship that has only existed in your mind. At this point in the story, Bella sits at the precipice of her idealization becoming actualized. The mystery of who and what Edward is is slowly unraveled. And once the truth is fully unveiled, she can never unknow it. It seems crazy to want to walk away at this point. After all, she is genuinely in love with him. But in many ways, it's the perfect time to do so. None of the dangers Edwards warns about have come to pass, but they most certainly will. 
So will their story take them to a place far better than the one they're in now? Or will they come out the other end more damaged than they entered? Either way, the prettiest story is the one we think of. I really like that. I, I also, I, I like the parallel of this book because you're talking about how they they want this thing, they both want this thing, but it can't happen. And it's like, it's a struggle because if Bella is going to say like spend the rest of her life with Bella she has mm-hmm. to give up her humanity right and that's a huge cost and so like yeah it's it's a question of we really want this but can we ever have it yeah and and I, I think Edward more than other romantic bull and you know romantic partners and books it is such a mystery and so much about him his attraction is his mystery yeah that you're gonna lose a lot of that when you learn the mystery Right. And will that love still be as strong once the all the sleuthing and, and searching and understanding has gone away and you're just right. both vampires or whatever and you're just living together now? You never know. It's, it's pretty to think so now, but will be pretty when it's real. Right. That's why I love that line so much. I think it really encapsulates that feeling, uh-huh. how perfect you can make something in your head and how special that is. I really like that. I'm not crying. Are you? He's crying, ladies and I'm, gentlemen. I'm tear impotent. <laughs> no, he's not crying. No, but it's no. fine if you did. Well, all right. That's enough from me. <laughs> Why don't we exit off the road to pretension and pull up to the rest stop of things you might not have known. I love it. I love this driving metaphor because today... Because it's really driving this podcast forward. You know what also is driving this podcast forward? All our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much. We don't have a Patreon, but we do have a, a, a like an anchor. Give us money. Give us money. Give go us to money. our anchor website. Dad, if you're listening. Go to money, please. Go to twilightpod.com. Twilightpod.com. Give me money, please. Anyway, so speaking of this driving metaphor, it's perfect for today's episode because I'm going to be covering the shiny new Volvo. Thank you for doing that with me. No problem. We didn't plan that. No, we didn't. So you may have noticed. How fucking good we are. Give us money. So you may have noticed that Stephanie Meyer has a thing with cars. No. <laughs> well, the reason for this is because her brothers are both autophiles. I thought you were going to say her brothers are both cars. No. I was going to be like, whoa. Her brothers <laughs> are got some both issues. cars. What? <laughs> and they're in the book. <laughs> anyway, so they're both autophiles. They are, in her words. Wait, do they fuck cars? No. Okay. They just love them. Okay. They are, in her words, obsessed in the literal clinical sense with cars. Sounds bad. Uh, Yes, I know. According to her website, she would call them up asking for a type of car for one of her characters, like, "Uh, give me the fastest four-door sedan. And she would say that her brothers would instantly have an answer, the name of the make and model, this, and just start listing stats like horsepower, price, how fast it takes to go from zero to 60. And then when she would ask the other brother the same question, he would oftentimes have the same answer, which is, I feel like, pretty funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I just give me a name, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you think, I'm not going to list its stats in, in my teen romance vampire book. <laughs> but I should say that she put thought into it because every car that is mentioned in Twilight is mm-hmm. specifically chosen by Stephanie Meyer to reflect certain attributes of its driver. Mm. So she didn't just put those cars in the series all willy-nilly. Right. 
That being said, in order to give you some of the stats on our SNV. Wait, real quick. Willy nilly is a great way to describe uh, Jake's wound from World War One. His willy is nilly. <laughs> I quite like that. Anyways, that being said, in order to give you some of the stats on our SNB, I need to first go over some vocabulary because I definitely don't speak car and driver. And Fortunately, s- I do. You do? No, not at all. No, I knew you didn't. <laughs> uh, some of these words and values I'm about to list off mean absolutely nothing to me. And I'm sure you, Spencer, and so I can only guess that most of our listeners might feel the same. My eyes have already glazed over. It, it, get ready for it. Because this is some physics that I fucking hate. Oh, yeah. But it is important because it's important to the story. Anyways, according to Car and Driver, quote, Port and power are what engines produce when you turn the key and press the accelerator. Mm. Air and fuel get ignited in the combustion chambers, which cause the crankshaft, (laughs) (laughs) transmission, and drive axles to do the twist. Do the twist. Exactly. You're imagining that? Now, this is the miracle of energy conversion, where you get the potential energy that is contained in recycled dinosaur efficiently changed to the kinetic energy needed for driving. Now, the word torque refers Mm -hmm. to that rotating force that an engine's crankshaft produces. I thought it was uh, the rotating force your, your butt produces on my crankshaft in the club. In the club? Torque. We don't go to the club. Well, not not lately, no. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh at my torque joke. Uh-huh. So the greater the torque, the greater the ability that the engine has to perform work. With work meaning the result of a force acting over a distance. And you did spell work with an E in the script. Yes. Work. Work, 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 work. Working on my sheet. <laughs> Uh, Now, the measurement for torque is actually the same as work, but because torque is a vector, meaning it only acts in certain directions, it has a different unit that it's quantified by. Moving on, horsepower is essentially torque multiplied by rotations per minute, meaning that torque is the capacity to do work, while power is how quickly the task can be accomplished. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So in ways that I can visualize, or, and you can probably visualize, mm-hmm. one horsepower is equal to the power required to lift 33,000 pounds, exactly one foot in one minute. Okay. Now, all that being said, I will now give you the stats on our SNV, but to help everybody, I'll also give you the stats of a 2018 Ford Focus as a comparison. So, I spot that. The actual model of our SNV is a Volvo S60R, so it's like fancier than a normal sedan. Mm. It has a 2.5 liter turbocharged i5 engine. Hell yeah. And I had to look it up, but apparently a turbocharged engine uses a method that forces recycled car exhaust back into the engine's combustion chamber, hmm. meaning that turbocharged engines can engines <laughs> turbocharged Onion. engines can be smaller than traditional engines but still produce the same amount of power. I swear Jason explained this to me one time at a car dealership, but I was just like staring at him. Yeah, I'm immediately going to forget this as soon as we stop recording. 
it is interesting though. I I didn't know what these terms actually mean because you hear them all the damn time. Oh on yeah, commercials. for sure. Yeah, no, it. You hear them as much as in these trying times. Right. Things are different now, and we here at Wells Fargo still want your money. Just kidding, Wells Fargo sponsor us. I will shill for you so fast. So the Volvo's horsepower is at 300 HP at 5,500 RPM compared to the Ford Focus, which has a horsepower of 123 to 350. So like, I guess like less than I would say the Volvo is better. I'm not. Who's to say? Well, this is also what? 2000? Yes. I mean, there's CDs being used, so it's. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was, yeah, probably like 2004 or something like that. The SNV also has a torque of 295 feet pounds, which is the unit they use. Feet pounds. Feet pounds. That's going to be my OnlyFans name. <laughs> I'm going to step on grapes. I will say the Ford Focus in comparison is at 125, I believe. So there's a lot of a question lot, marks on lot that less, stat. You know, it's yeah. very confusing. Additionally, though, this is one stat that I do know and, and shows that it's better. The zero, uh, the sorry, the SNV can go zero to 60 in 5.5 seconds. Ooh. Whereas uh, Ford Focus, like say, can mm-hmm. only go zero to 60 in 7.5 seconds. Piece of shit. Sucks. So Edward likes that acceleration. Right. Wants, so the ones go fast. Right. That's pretty much what you need to know is that even though this car looks like any normal car, it is very inconspicuous, which is why they drive it. Mm-hmm. However, underneath the hood shows a different story. It drives like a freaking sports car. So apparently it's the best car for driving the winding, narrow, wet Washington roads better than all almost all of the other cars that are mentioned in mm-hmm. the entire series. So technically better than the convertible. It is a car that has a desire to blend in while having much more to offer beneath what you can initially see. A little Mm -hmm. bit alike our boy, Eddie. Eddie boy. So that, my friends, is the iconic shiny new Volvo. That's great, babe. I like that. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely cars are very important characters. Yes. You know, Bella, too, obviously, the janky truck. Right, and, like, Rosalie has that convertible. Yeah, flashy. She's beautiful. Her car is beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Red. Blood. Blood's red. Exactly. She loves blood. You know, blood's blue until it's exposed to oxygen. That's not true. That's not true at all. But horseshoe crab blood is blue. And that's cool. It is. You know why? Because instead of using iron binding to their hemoglobin in their blood, like we do... Copper. <gasps> and copper, when oxidized, is blue-green. That's right, motherfucker. Damn, look at us. Look at us. Scientist. Scientist. Today, I was a physicist. I was a physicist. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for us. Jess, what chapters are we covering next week? So, next week is going to be our special Halloween episode. Our Halloween spooktacular. Ooh. Ooh. Insert dancing skeleton sounds. So we're doing chapters 11 and 12 next week with some special spooky stuff as well. They're ready to get spooked. Probably not going to be that spooky. It's probably just going to have, you know, Halloween shit. Probably more over analysis of Halloween or something. Anyways, I can't wait. I can't wait either. It's going to be great. We're so excited. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, twilightpod.com. 
If you have a question or just want to say hi, you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. You can also go to twilightpod.com and give us money. Give us money, please. If you feel like it. (laughs) Our intro song is by the great Alex Chavez. You can check out more of his music on his Facebook page, Vintage Attire Music. As always, remember to think critically. And don't suck. Bye. Bye. You ever need to shave your balls? Now you can't. <laughs>